And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your guest today, Matt Watson. I'm super excited to be joined by Namaki Petrola. She works as a consultant and fractional head of product. Today, we're going to talk all about what in the hell is product? People talk about product in reference to software development and startups. So we're going to spend some time today talking about what the hell does that even mean? Before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of the Startup Hustle is powered by FullScale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. FullScale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit FullScale.io to learn more. Namaki, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. It's great to be here. So I, I guess maybe we should just start with like, what the hell does product mean? <laughs> Let's get to it. So that's such an interesting question. Um, and I think everyone would answer it really different. Product is, com- people that are in product come from all walks of life, right? Like everyone's background is different. Um, their expertise is different. What they do on a day-to-day is different depending on how big your company is, like what your expertise is in, like it's very different. Um, Product came about probably eight to 10 years ago. I think when project management was huge and you probably don't even hear project management anymore in jobs, right? There was a natural progression in technology over the past decade where project managers were actually having to make strategic decisions. I was in a couple of companies that they were actually doing this, um, but they didn't have the has hierarchy in the company to be making those decisions. So they're working with developers day to day, but they didn't understand at the base of why are they making all of these decisions? How are they building software in general? And basically the entire premise of the company and what the decisions they're making. So product came about, I think there's a hybrid model over time between account management, product management, customer success, Um, developers, designers, and they culminated into this title, this role that we call product um, that really at the base of it is problem solving, right? So like product managers, no matter what level you are, they're people that solve problems every single day, big and small, medium, depending on, you know, anything, development, design, customers. So so I would describe it even simpler than that. So as a software developer, It's my job to figure out how we do things and make them come to life. And to me, product is like, what are we going to do? What is the priority? You guys help drive priority. However the hell you're going to figure that out. And then we'll just go build the thing. Just go tell us what to do and we'll go build it, right? Like to me, I think it dispels down to almost that simple. Yeah, I I can see that. I think... um... I have a background in both design and business management, and I've been in strategic decisions, and I've been, um, I guess, a co-founder in some ways of companies where for product for me, in those small size companies, it actually means a lot more than that. And I've heard people say like product means- That was the simple version. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and we can go, we can talk about this for an entire day and still have so much more to talk about. But generally when people ask me what the hell is product, I'm like, well, it comes down to people that like to solve problems and it's for building something that is customer facing majority of the time. And it is a direct reflection of your business objectives. And so for a SaaS company, for a, a mm -hmm. software company, a lot of times it starts with one of the founders who has like the product vision, product strategy, what are we going to do? Right. But then you've got a product team that's going to take it from there and figure out, okay, what does that mean? How do I actually do this crazy ass idea that he has or she mm -hmm. has, whatever? Right. And then, you know, potentially what other vendors do we work with? We have to integrate with this thing. And like, how do I, how do I do all this? And, and then how do I argue with everybody else in the company that this priority is more important than their other crazy idea from the week before? Right. Like you start juggling all the things. And you usually have a, a product manager that helps drive all of that. Right. And then, in, and then most companies will have a product owner mm -hmm. and the product owner is usually more in the weeds on the day-to-day -day basis of stuff. And I mean, you mentioned product, the term product kind of coming around, you know, 10 years ago or something like that. Do you think it kind of came around as part of a byproduct of agile? Of like we're doing agile oh, development absolutely. and we have to have a product owner. And do you think that's, did that help cement that terminology? You know, probably um, when you're talking about the difference between a project product manager and a product owner, I've only seen that in one capacity. And that was when one of the companies I was a part of got acquired by a really large company. And that large company had product owners and then a slew of product managers, account managers, and then many team members associated. Yeah. I work primarily in really small startups, people right. that might only have seed or pre-seed. Once you get to like series A, I kind of get out of it. Um, and primarily because I like to have my hands on a lot of different aspects of the business so that I'm making more informed and better decisions. So when you're talking about having both of those, I think that really comes down to the size of the company right, sure. and how they're distributed um, and their roles and what kind of decisions they're making. Well, so at at my company, Full Scale, we have like over 100 clients that we work with doing mm -hmm. software development. And like if somebody comes to us to, to be a customer of ours, a lot of times we won't be a, we won't even take them as a customer if they don't have a product owner mm -hmm. or a lead developer. Because if you just have like the founder of a company that has some idea of how to create something, a lot of times that just doesn't work. Like you have to, they need somebody on their side that has either built software before or can act as like the product owner on a day-to-day -day basis to work with the software development team to help, you know, translate from <laughs> software developer speak to human yes. English on the other side, because they're kind of different languages, right? And, 100%. Um, you know, we, we actually like, if people come to us and they don't have any kind of product owner at all, people that have experience with this, they don't have any kind of developer at all, like, and, and so you you deal with a lot of these early stage companies. So I'm just curious, what do you what do you see? What kind of advice do you have for these super early stage companies that maybe they don't they don't have a product owner, they have nobody at all? I guess your advice would be to call you. <laughs> yeah, call me. Um, no, but the, you bring up an awesome point because one of my clients is actually in this exact predicament where they had built software or attempted to without anyone like me in product that understood the middle ground of technical and business speak in general. And we're not able to effectively communicate to a development team that was essentially building a product. So what did you get? 
a really broken product, a lot of upset customers. So now they called me um, and I am now this middle ground where I communicate. I essentially do project management in addition to designing and business strategy uh, for the product and for both the webs and the website and the application. But the goal here is that I'm a part of every conversation. I understand the business. I understand how to take the business goals and put it into something that's uh, digitally uh, tangible, <laughs> right? And I think they're seeing, you know, I've been I've been told a couple of times now, like, we never had someone like this. We didn't actually know what this process was like. And you're going to get a lot of people like me. I'm not the best in the world, right? But I am really good at being able to translate, you know, the needs from a business perspective all the way down to something that can be used by customers. And I might not be a developer in the background, but being able to speak technically, understand how APIs work, um, what the difference between front end and back end are, are really important when you're working with customers and developers and to make sure that they understand how to scale at the end. Well, and, and, and you're absolutely right about all that, but maybe even more important, even at a more simpler level, right, is having somebody that can manage all of this and translate it because otherwise you may get the founder that that keeps telling to the developers, make it do this, make it do this, add this feature, add this thing. Basically, you end up with something that's a bunch of features and there's no <laughs> yes. product. There's like no product to it, right? So mm -hmm. it's like at a minimum, you need somebody that all day long, not necessarily all day long, but is just helping think about this as a product as a whole yes. and thinking about a lot of the little details, like how does somebody sign up for an account? Like how do we build people mm -hmm. how do we how do they like a lot of basic things that you need to think about when you're building a product yep. not building just a bunch of features like add this report i need to do this right. thing make it do this right you need somebody to filter all that and that brings up another good point is another big problem is when you have like the founder business owner who just tells the developers to do all sorts of random shit <laughs> and they change the priority every week right it's like yeah. every week they have a new a new big idea and honestly, the developers don't know what to do with that. And they're mm -hmm. like, they get everything like 80% complete. They drop it. They move on to the next thing because the founders got like ADHD and they're like running yep. around like crazy. And so this is where you need a product person, right? You need a product person to sit in the middle of this and say, hey, uncle, wait a second. We're not doing this. You told us to do this thing last week. I got to protect the team, right? I got to protect the team. They got to finish yeah. the crazy idea from last week. So before we start this one. Like you need that traffic cop. Does that make sense? Yeah. So one thing I really like to do is level set. Um, I'm a really big advocate for boundary setting and that obviously for personal reasons, but also for business as well. When I'm working with teams, part of my goal in being a part of the communications of what the business goal is, what are you trying to achieve? Why are you doing this? Um, understanding those basics before we actually get into yeah. building software is really important. So anytime that we start, you know, listing out a bunch of features that we want to build, part of my goal is to categorize them, understand the priority, but most importantly, what is the impact of those on your business? And then understanding financials, like what is your budget? Because one feature might cost 10 times as much as another one. Yeah. And putting something out as an MVP version or even a fast release might be worth it um, to wait six months so that you can get something out the door, get some customer traction and understand you know, what is working, what's not working. So in terms of those conversations, 
you probably will hear me say it two or three times a week. Okay, let's pause and let's remember why we're having this conversation. Is that something that we need to be discussing right now? If it's not, then I'm going to take a note and I'm going to put it into my document of ideas that we will revisit and prioritize in groupings of releases. But for this very topic, we need to understand what do we need to do? What are our blockers and how are we going to get to tomorrow? Basically. You know what you should do is actually do that with sticky notes and then (laughs) nobody can see the video right now, but you know, behind the wall behind you should just be covered with sticky notes and it should be like a great visual for you actually client of like, look, all of these ideas, you have all of these ideas behind. (laughs) Okay. I can add another one to the list, but my job is mm-hmm. to help you figure out which of those is important. Yeah. Prioritize them, right? Because that that's the biggest challenge as a business owner, especially when you're early yeah. stage, right? You're like, somebody wants this thing and, and I could pivot and do this whole different industry or I could do this. And it's really hard. Like, I get it. Like, I'm trying it to is start, hard. I'm trying to start a new company here soon. And the same thing, like we could go five different directions with this thing. And like 60% of the product is the same. Right. But the other 40% could be quite a bit different. How we sell it, you know, if we're using resellers or we selling it direct, you know, like the go to market strategy is different. Yeah. All of these things change. And and that's where it's, startups are hard. Like it's a messy process. I get it. But you're, you, you know, the value that you're providing your, your client is you're kind of their coach of like getting them to <laughs> yes. stop and think, right? Of like, now hang on. Let's, let's go through the pros and cons of all of these scenarios. What are the strengths? What are our weaknesses? Which one of those things should we do? Which one of those are a terrible idea? We should never mention again. (laughs) Which ones are great ideas, right? I think what's interesting too is that um, in small companies, like a lot of the companies that I work with are under 10 people, right? right? They're really small, which I prefer. I really like being in the nitty gritty every day and kind of seeing how people work and jiving off of them. That's something that I enjoy and why I don't do series A and above. Um, But generally, I think it's important to also get everyone on the same page, because when you're working with really small companies, everyone has an impact in the business, has a lot of ideas, just like you're mentioning, and they want to be heard. So to give everyone that platform and empowering them to be able to speak about the ideas and the why they have those ideas, it all comes down to those 10 or less people being a part of a mission. When you're a really small company, a lot of times the people that you're hiring really feel strongly about the mission that you're trying to achieve. And it's not necessarily because they want a job to pay their bills. Of course it is, but people in startups, they're they're built a little bit different and they want to be in the weeds and understand and know and have a voice. So part of that conversation that I have about boundaries and you know, building prioritization is really also about empowering your team so that we understand the why behind these ideas. Well, and and, and so having ideas is great, but having ideas is also really dangerous, right? Because Mm -hmm. everybody has to agree, like talk about the goals and a roadmap, North Star, like, you know, whatever terminology you want to use, like everybody's got to know, like, this is the ultimate goal we're trying to get to, right? And then every time these ideas come up, everybody has to stop and think, okay, is this an opportunity? or distraction, mm-hmm. right? And because everything needs to kind of go through that filter because there can be a lot of them are just totally distractions away from where you're trying to go. But a lot of times we see all of them as opportunities, right? And so it's like, we never get to our original mm-hmm. goal because of that. And 
one of my favorite th- uh, sayings is, is like, every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to everything else, right? Yeah. So if, if you say yes to this distraction, you're saying no to everything else. And, but people don't think about it that way. Sometimes when I'm working with companies that might already have some revenue, the majority of them have a little bit of revenue. Um, it's rare that the companies that I work with are starting from zero, but a lot of times when they're asking questions about priorities and their like shiny object, I'll ask them, what data do you have to support that? Right. Are you making an informed decision or are you going off of your excitement because you heard someone say something and then you took that in and you decided you wanted to do it for your product, but you don't actually understand the impact it has. Um, I feel like more technical founders do understand that are more seasoned founders that have you know created more than one business definitely have learned those lessons the hard way. Um, but I do work with people that are in the first time business and that they just got a couple million dollars in funding and they don't understand how to prioritize that. So asking them informed decisions like, well, what does your market research tell you? What does your data tell you? you, Are you making an informed decision? Um, it's, I sometimes say like, you know, I have to be data driven, but really, yeah, data is all over the place, but actually learning what your data and understanding your data to make impactful decisions is more important than just like gathering it all under the sun. Right. Yeah. Um, so I do want to take a second to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io where you can build a software team quickly and affordably use the full scale platform to define your technical needs and then see what developers are available to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. So most of your clients that you worked with, you mentioned they're kind of, series a or before they're kind of seed stage and stuff like that so is your goal to help them kind of come in and figure out product market fit or like what what is usually kind of your goal when you ideally when i've worked with someone they already know their fit or like are attempting to get into their pmf um ideally (laughs) i have worked with people that don't know that yet and just have an idea but at that point I'm expensive. So I'm like, you don't want to be wasting your money on me when you should be spending your money on figuring out if building with me makes sense first, right? Like I'm really conscious of that businesses spending and why they're spending and when they should be spending. And of course, I'd love to have a billion clients and you know make more money. But generally, I know when I'm a good fit and when I'm not. And if you don't have your product market fit at least somewhat stable or you haven't figured it out yet, I might not be your the right buy for you, right? So, so you want you want they should they should have figured out product market fit first. I think generally founders, if they're going into business and they have an idea, it shouldn't just be an idea they splattered on the wall. Yeah. Um, and there should be something backed by it. And there are, you know, when people come to me and set up meetings for like 20 minutes, be like, all right, what do you do? And like, can you help me? I will ask them, how long have you been in business? What have you done in that year or two years? Are you bootstrapped? Do you have funding? Um, what, you know, who's on your team? What have you learned? And why are you talking to me right now? Like, there's got to be a reason that you decided, okay, I don't want this Band-Aid solution anymore where you're combining like five or six different no-code pieces into one product um, and that you want someone to come in. So why now? And usually if I ask that question, 
they'll have a good reason. Um, or if they say, you know, maybe I'm that pushback actually dawns on them. We're not ready for you. And I want them to be aware of that before they're coming in and bringing in a team because otherwise they'll be wasting money on me. And that's not good for either, either of us. So how would you define product market fit? Oh, that is a can of worms. Um, <laughs> it, it, it is because I feel like depending on the type of product that you're building, but generally at a very base level, you're solving a need that you know people are wanting to solve in their own software and you want to build it, I guess. But you've proven that, right? You've That's proven key, it right? in some way, right? There's been customer feedback or you have gone out and done testing. You've done surveys. There's lots of things that you can do. The only, the reason why I'm like smiling and hesitating is because there's a cost to everything. So you can build something that you know is a need, but your software could cost a lot of money. And then at that point, your product market fit might not actually be what you thought. Oh, so yeah. It's it's a complicated term, but generally product market fit comes from knowing um, and already having evidence that you're solving a problem yeah. that people need. So I have a good example of this. I ran across a guy, uh, his name's Matthew Curtis, a couple weeks a couple weeks ago on LinkedIn that had mm -hmm. a new AI related thing, and it's called um, Insight InsightVoice.ai. So we want to check it out, but um, it it's a cool little cool service where you could record a video of a founder and it would take the video, transcribe it, and then create blog posts and social media posts and all this stuff. Okay. And the value that he would provide was doing the questions and answers too, right? So the founder could just like, just show up, boom, here's the question. It's already loaded up. Just answer the question. So all you gotta do is just answer the question. We do everything else. And it uses AI. So it's kind of a hot topic, but you know, one way I can, I can say that he had product market fit and that's the point of my story here is he he was smart. He's doing market research. He set up calls, eight calls a day with potential clients. Almost every single one of them is signing up on the spot. So that's when you know like you've got like a grand slam of yeah. product market fit, right? He's doing the market research. He's talking to customers. Almost every single one of them wants to sign up on the spot. We're on the flip side of that. If you, if you were doing that and everybody's confused or not sure like, why would I buy this thing? Like well, Excel how much does is- How software cost? At like a hundred dollars a month. Okay, that's not that bad because as soon as you're telling me about this, I have another business that's an e-commerce store, and content is really important. And as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, instead of using like Chat GPT, I could actually just do that and regurgitate <laughs> a bunch of content for myself so that SEO picks up on who I am yeah. further and my business. So maybe I should do that. <laughs> There you go. He's got product market fit. You're sold too, right? So <laughs> yeah, that was that, that's the thing. The It's all about that product market fit, right? And so when things work, that's the point. When the things work, they just work. Like people get it. Like the customer yeah. gets it. Everybody gets it. And one thing that I always talk about from a, like a product and marketing perspective, and I want to talk to you more about product and marketing too, is people should be able to self-select in, right? Like should be able to go to your website and be like, I get it. That makes sense to me. I would buy that thing. Mm. And I think that is the the like pinnacle of product, right? <laughs> is is getting the product to a perspective that a potential customer can see it and they can easily relate to it and self-select in and say, yeah, I would buy that thing. But that also means a lot of other people may not buy it, but those aren't mm -hmm. the customers you're trying to target, right? Like you're trying to simplify it down to your niche 
So your niche, when they immediately see it, they immediately say, yes, I'm going to buy that thing. So Matt, let me ask you a question. When you go to a website, how long does it take you to figure out if you know what the hell they're talking about before you leave that website? I mean, hopefully I figured out within a few seconds. Right. right? And then if you don't, you're like, wait, what? And you drop off. Maybe I'm going to click one or two times on the website and look around. And Mm -hmm. so a good example of this is let's say I was looking for a lawyer, but I'm, I need a lawyer to fix a traffic ticket, right? If I keep going to lawyers' websites and none of them talk about traffic tickets, I immediately just like go to the next one, right? Because it could be for divorce or child mm-hmm. things or all these different types of lawyers, right? So that's the thing is like if, if whatever your product is from a marketing perspective, you want to simplify it down so people can self-select in. You're like, boom, traffic yep. lawyer, boom, in. I'm, I'm sold, right? And yep. but from a product perspective, people always mess that up. They, they, they actually do. And every time, so w- companies have marketing websites, all of them do. Like you go to, if you're trying to find software, they have a marketing website that has their product plastered all over it. Right. A lot of times using terms, they try to come up with like a simple buzzword. That's like five or seven words that says, we do this. Yeah. That nobody's but ever heard of. It, yeah. And it's like, what the F does that mean? And you're like, well, no, no, no. What do you actually do? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Show me exactly what you do. And then yeah. you scroll down, and the good ones have figured out that, okay, I'm going to show you a 30 second clip, or I'm going to show you a quick drag and drop of a GIF of what our software actually does with keywords that you might be searching for. So like, obviously SEO is really important, but understanding like what are our users searching for? And I have a friend who's brilliant at SEO and has taught me so much about, you know, the power it has and that you don't have to use ad dollars essentially because you're already putting yourself on the map by using keyword searches, right? And I think a lot of times there, there might be a category that you're actually trying to create in software. The, not every category has been created every year. New ones are being are popping up, which is a very difficult and almost bad place to be. By the way, it, Blue Ocean is the worst. It, the amount of education that you have to um, provide in order for people to understand, yeah, because people aren't buy. buying it. They don't have a budget for it, and they're not buying for it. Mm-hmm. And my favorite example of this is like it'd be like going to the Philippines and trying to sell them toilet paper, <laughs> which you is, laugh, I mean, but they don't use toilet paper, like. No. That's not a thing there. So that's not a category. Right. I think, yeah, Blue Ocean is tough. And I've been in a company that is in Blue Ocean territory. And while what you're building is incredible, you there's so many challenges that go with it. And it's just like, well, how do we educate? Um, and if that's not your expertise, then trying to find the people that can educate and putting out content. You know, content is king, right? We know that. As long as you have content, a con- content, a nonstop in all different formats, video, text, blogs, like social, all over the place. I mean, this is product marketing. So, so yeah. And so I was going to say is kind of bringing this back to the, uh, the rest of our conversation. So product in general can mean a lot of different things, but product and marketing, product positioning, product strategy, all of these things are part of product. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're an early stage startup, maybe you're thinking about, okay, what features do we build and the roadmap and all of that. But product marketing um, is a whole different, whole different, yeah. really important part of this. And um, product. Pro- so if we talk about product in really large companies for a minute, and I, and I know that's not your specialty either, right? Of, of like what you normally do, you're in early stage companies, but product as a topic, even a really large company could be something as simple 
is whoever is trying to get the blue check mark at Twitter. It's like <laughs> you you own the blue check mark. Your job is to is to get more people to get blue check marks, right? Like that's literally a job at Twitter. It Somebody is. has Isn't that, that job. Yeah. Well, actually, that, that job probably spot. got laid off last month. <laughs> but but the point is, like, product at big companies could be like, hey, we added this new widget yeah. or this new add-on package. Your job is to market that package, get user adoption of that package figure out how many people fall off in some workflow or clicks or usage. Like there's all these different things that mm -hmm. are product related at bigger companies that are like product usage, product adoption, um, help, help yeah. documentation, all this kind of stuff is also a form of product. I'm glad that you brought that up because when people reach out to me to work with me, there is, there is a cognitive load that comes with specific types of projects, right? And I will only take one client at a time that is working on an entire rebuild because that involves so much cognitive load for me to be able to put my best foot forward that all the other projects, if I was doing a full re redo of their product, I wouldn't be able to give 100%. So if I have like one that is doing that whole thing, then I might have one or two on the side that are that blue check mark. I mean, a little bit bigger than that, but um, the idea is to be able to, I guess, like spread apart where the cognitive load isn't all upon that because otherwise I'd be burning out, right? And I think you're right too. People reach out to me, not just for, hey, we want to build this entire product, but one company I'm working with that starts in April, they are building a new section, one feature, but yeah. they don't know how to do that. And they need someone to come in and do all of the market research, customer um, interviews and ideation and, you know, exploring different technology that we can use for the integrations um, and then working with the developers on building that. But I'm not even touching any of the other product that is their base business. So I think you, and that's a great point that every company is different and even small startups also have that depending if that company is like 30 people, I think. Well, I got another example of this is at my last company, StackFi, you know, product led growth was important to us. Like we needed, we were a lower cost product. We need people to sign up for the product, install it, use it and get to that aha moment, right? As fast as possible. And like, that was part of, that was like everybody's job, but especially yep. the product team. And so one thing we looked at a lot is trying to figure out, okay, what percentage of people install, what percentage of people actually use it. And then all the, the demographics, the firmographics, the, you know, for us, it was like, what programming language did they use? What kind of servers did they use? Like the hosting provider, yeah. like we're like slicing and dicing all the usage data as the product team, right? Trying to figure out how do we increase adoption? How do we increase trial conversion? Like, that's the mm -hmm. other part of product that you potentially get into the weeds of, of like product-led growth, trial optimization, uh, customer retention, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, PLG is an interesting area. I think being able to dissect data and understanding product analytics in general on what those moments are that you can convert users. I'm working on a team right now that we are launching a freemium model, but we are going to then do a fast release of a paid subscription. And we are talking about what is the fine line between free yeah. and paid. And That's hard. Yes, we are juggling on what we have like definitely a paid version and definitely a free, but there's a piece in the middle that we're like, 
what do we do with it? Do we add a second tier? Do we give it to them for free so they see more value? Like, how do we build that? Do we do an MVP version and then add the full version to the paid, like, you know, 30 or 40 bucks a month thing? And conversations like that happen every day and trying to figure out what is the right balance. But eventually what we're going to do and what I keep telling them is ask your customers. You have a half a million customers, ask them because all your competitors are doing it for free or doing it as a paid model, but you have something that they don't offer. Ask your customers, like, do they want that information in the first place? Like, is that valuable to them? And look at your data. Are they looking at it? Well, and that brings up another topic of of the product team has to help with pricing, packaging, who the target audience yeah. is, right? Who's your ICP? Who's the ideal customer profile? Yep. And so I'm curious, how often do you get involved with kind of the, the market time. market positioning? Because the problem is with a lot of products, you could try and sell it for $100 to a lot of people, or you could try and sell it for $1,000, but yeah. only for like the enterprise clients. How often do you help people figure that out? All the time. I'm even involved in like funding and how they're going to get funding and putting this slide together specifically for their funding round. Like, so generally my goal is to deduce what a general number would be that someone would be willing to pay based on research and what they might have already and using numbers to kind of come up with that magic number from that. That's not necessarily the right solution, but from that number, we then can take the extra measures to say, okay, we have a general area that might have like a five or $10 window. I mean, this depending on the product you're working on of what people are willing to spend. Now you have to go out and do more research and ask people and understand, I guess your, your customer profile, like what are they willing to spend on this specific topic? Right. But for one of the customer that we're working on this now, they already have some products on the market, some digital services and some tangible goods based around this topic. And what I try to say is like, gather all of that. Now see what everyone is spending in each one of those categories. And now try to transact that into your digital service. And will you be able to come up with a number that makes them feel like they are getting their worth out of it every single day? Now from that number that's coming from your gut and a little bit of data, Now go out, you have half a million users on social, put a quick, simple survey out on your Instagram profile. Hey, what do you guys think? I think we have the power, a lot of software, a lot of companies that are smaller, they are able to build a following, but they're not using their following. And I see that constantly that I'm like, you have this many users, 60, 70,000 people following you every day that are interacting with you, that are obsessed with your product because they see the value. Now, why aren't you asking them to be a part of your community? Community, you talked about product-led growth. Community-led growth is right now. So POG was a few years ago. Of course, it's still around um, and it's transacted now over to PLS, so product-led sales. Um, But community-led growth now is the big new thing. So asking your community, empowering them to feel like they're actually helping drive your own mission is something that they love. So, and that goes all the way into web 2.5 and then you're going to get into web 3.0 over time. Um, and using that community is really important. Well, especially if you have a subset of, of, of people that are really fans of what you do, right? Yes. And that's another way to know that you, that you really have product led growth and, and like the, insight voice guy I mentioned earlier, like he's got some early fans. They're like, man, I really love what you do. 
And he can definitely go back to them and they are all yes. like super supportive. They're like, how can we help? We love this thing. How do we use it? How do yes. I provide feedback? Right? Like that's another indication that you've really got product market fit. Yeah. Those early adopters are un your unicorns and you should treat them extra special. If you can give them out like a promo code that gives them more access to other things, because what ideally what's going to happen is they're your product influencers. Oh yeah. Right. And they're going to go out there. They're going to talk about it. They're going to say the value in it. And even if there's things that are broken, they're more forgiving. They are. They are way more forgiving and they're willing to say, you know what? I don't care if that bug happens because they're helping me solve this problem. They're your but, evangelist. You exactly. Support those so you need to lean into them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So when you, for the clients that you're working with, how often would you say that they don't price their product high enough? Like they go to this default mode of trying to be the cheapest. Um, I would say that I have the opposite problem. Really? <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess there's a middle ground because I've worked with some med tech and fintech companies. Um, but at my current juncture and the few clients that I have, I actually think it's the opposite. Um, and part of it is not necessarily because they want to charge more, but it also comes down to not solving other problems like logistics and supply chain. Um, and that comes down to other systemic problems that we are dealing with in the world, right? And it's not necessarily about them wanting to charge more, but trying to figure out what is the right balance that for our business makes sense, allows us to continue growth, but makes it feasible for our customers. Um, yep. and, and also I'm working with subscription-based companies too that were not subscription prior, but want to transition over to subscription. And I actually advocate for that because I think that if you're going to download something or use a product, um, you're more willing to get those early adopters or gain, you know, a bunch of users faster. If you show them that you have value, um, be transparent about what you're building and then try to convert them. It's a lot harder upfront to give them something that costs money. I mean, we know that even from really expensive companies, right? So it's not just the smaller ones that cost you five or 10 bucks a month, but even the ones that are like one or $2,000 a month, they give you a 30 day trial. They give you that free option that just restricts all the functionality. The yep. goal is always to show them we show we have value and we can solve your problems. And then that goes into all those other roles like customer success that help bring them in and then convert them so that we have more users for product to build for. Absolutely. <laughs> it's full circle, right? If you if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, full scale can help. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced team of software developers. At Fullscale, we specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit fullscale.io. So we've so we've talked a, a lot about different aspects of product today, which is awesome. Because I think a lot of people, they don't know what a product is, or mm -hmm. they think it's one of the things. And I go back to my original statement. As from the developer's perspective, <laughs> it's all about, just tell me what the hell to build. Just tell me yeah. what, what it is, and don't change the damn story next week, right? Like, <laughs> so from a developer's perspective, I still simplify it down to that. But we know it's a lot of different things. Yeah, I mean, at the base level, I guess... I always come down to what problem are you solving and which is, yeah. you know, how are you solving it? And then we get to the developers. All right, now solve it this way. 
Yes. <laughs> Just tell me what to do. <laughs> yes. And that's hard to do because then you have to tell, there's so many things that we can get into. We could talk about this all day, but yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. And as we, as we run this out, what other, you have any final tips for, for people that are early stage and like, Hey, do I need a product person? What should I do? Yeah. Like, what, what tips um, do you have for them? I guess my tip would be to sit down and reflect on what you want to build and why you want to build it. And if you have a understanding and you know what you want to do and you've proven it, or if you haven't proven it and you just want to spend a bunch of cash, <laughs> I guess like figure out why you want to do it first and then determine, okay, validate who's ready it. to do it. Validate that, you know, that idea and come up with someone that can help you strategize around it before you just go build out of nowhere. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, show today again. This is Namaki Petrola. Yep. Um, can that's your your website? Um, can find you on LinkedIn. We'll have links in the show notes and everything as well. Awesome. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Matt. Startup hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.